church, how are you feeling today? No, really, how, how are you feeling today? This is what we're going to be talking about in large part today. And I want you to just tune in for a second and try to identify just in one word what you're feeling right now. Got it? Maybe? Maybe not? I know, it's hard, right? Because we're not really conditioned to talk about our feelings very much, are we? You know, you know, when someone asks you, hey, how are you doing today? What's the common response? Nine times out of ten, you're going to say what? Good. Good. Doing good. Yeah, things are well, right? It's like everything could be going wrong in your life. You know, your business could be crashing. You could be losing everything. And someone's like, hey, how are you doing? Good. Good. No. <laughs> Sometimes, a lot of times, we're not actually doing good. But culturally, we've been conditioned to sort of just fire off this automatic response without actually noticing or realizing how we're actually feeling. In fact, this goes way back to Greek Stoic philosophers who believed that emotions could not be trusted. You can't trust emotions. You have to rely on only your intellect. In fact, here in the United States, it wasn't until the 1990s that we actually started taking emotions seriously and studying them. That was only like three years after I was born. The 1980s, they also believed, no, emotions can't be trusted. It wasn't until the 1990s. And in this series, we're talking about reconciling America. How do we heal? How do we move forward past the inequities and the brokenness that we're experiencing right now. And we've heard so many steps previous to what you're going to hear today. Jason talking about last week, how you have to tell the story, name the truth, whatever it is. Well, the next step in this process in reconciling and healing the parts of ourself and our country is naming the hurt. Naming the hurt, naming the emotion behind the thing you have experienced. And again, we're not used to doing this, but just because we're not used to doing it doesn't mean we don't have those emotions, those hurts that must be named. And you know, the funny thing is, as I was thinking about this all this week, I realized part of my inability to name hurts and name emotions actually came from experiences in the church, weirdly. I kind of grew up with this mindset that, well, if I'm not happy and joyful all the time and, you know, praising God all the time for all the good things He's doing and all the good things the divine is bringing into the world and my life, then I might not be a good Christian. I have to always be happy. And yet, if we look at our tradition Throughout this entire Bible, our tradition is one of lament. It's one of grief. I mean, the Old Testament prophets, Moses, Isaiah, Amos, uh, Jeremiah, right? Micah, all these people are professing their lament, giving voice to their grief. And you know who does that most powerfully, I believe? Jesus. 
And that's what we're going to look at today, how Jesus names his grief and how in many ways he's teaching us to name ours. So why don't we turn to Mark 14, 32, 36. Mark 14, 32 through 36. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the screen for you as well. Now, let me set up this just a little bit. So every week we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? It's the the last supper before Jesus is about to be betrayed, is about to start the road to Calvary, the cross. But between the last supper and the final betrayal, we have this moment where Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, it's where they took olives and they crushed olives, right? Crushed them down into olive oil. And in many ways, that's what's happening to Jesus in this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being crushed down the emotional weight of the betrayal that he knows is about to come. The journey he knows he's about to embark on. He knows everything that's going to happen. And he's being crushed by the weight of the emotional turmoil that he's experiencing. And let's see what he does. Mark 14, 32, 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. This is such a powerful passage. It it confuses sometimes everything we thought we knew about God. This all-powerful Almighty God who's got it all figured out and, you know, surely can't feel our pain or know what we're experiencing. And yet the incarnation of God in Christ, the God revealed in human form, is deeply grieved, suffering, feeling the pain of the betrayal of the oppressors that are on their way, of the anticipation of what he's about to go through, deeply grieved. And what does he do? He names it. He doesn't hold it in. He doesn't deny it. He names it. He says, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. God feels our pain. Not only does God feel our pain, but God names the pain. 
And you may be wondering, well, uh, okay, yeah, he named the pain, but did that change anything? I mean, nothing really changed, right? Well, no, I, I believe that by him naming the pain, he found the strength, the courage to continue on. Look at the end of this verse. Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Yet not what I want, but you want. You see, when we name our pain, we move past the stage of grief, past the stage of denial, and into a new potential. Jesus shows us how to name our hurt so we can heal and move forward. Because research shows that when we don't name our hurt, when we don't name our hurt, that these hurts stay trapped in our body. It's called cellular trauma. That literally our cells, our, our DNA, our, the structures of our very being start to change into unhealthy outcomes. They've shown now that psychological stress that gets trapped in the body can be just as painful as literal physical trauma. It's sort of like, um, you know, have you, ever, uh, have you ever experienced this where you're talking with someone and you say something and all of a sudden they just like completely flip out on you and you're just like, whoa, holy crap, what? Sorry, I didn't mean that. I, I was just talking about that other thing and they're like, yeah, no, I know, sorry. That, that was, I don't know what happened. I don't know what that was. Well, that's unprocessed grief. That's what happens when we aren't able to name the hurt. This stuff gets trapped up. It builds up until it explodes out in unhealthy ways. AKA America, right? This is a lot of what we're seeing in America right now. This unhealthy explosion of, of rage and, and white supremacy and nationalism and the continual racism that black and brown communities experience because America has not gotten very good at naming the hurt, at being honest about what's happening right now and what has happened previously. This happens on a collective level, but also on an individual level. But we also know that when we name the hurt, when we give voice to the hurt, we also know through research the powerful effects of that. For instance, uh, UCLA did this study where they put two groups of people who have arachnophobia, which is essentially a, a really deep psychological fear of spiders. So they put these two groups in the room and they did this little test where they had spiders in the room. And they instructed one group to name the feelings as they were experiencing the spiders, right? So, oh my God, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm, I can't do this, I'm fearful, I feel panicky, I feel anxious. And they found that the people who were able to name the emotions were able to move closer and closer to the spiders. Remember, this is a deep psychological fear. 
the people who weren't given any instructions about, you know, name your emotions as you're experiencing it, could not get anywhere near the spiders. They were terrified. They remained terrified. There's power to naming the emotions. In fact, they've shown that through brain studies, parts of the amygdala, right? When you have fear, uh, stress, anxiety, right? The amygdala, parts of it are just going crazy, right? Well, they showed that when people who are hooked up and it's going crazy, and those people just named what they were experiencing when they said, I feel scared, I feel fear, the parts of that brain decreased. Like the neurological activity, the electrical activity went down. Because there's this contemplative thing that happens when we name the fear, we become aware of it, we notice it, we recognize it, and it starts to decrease. Because the truth is, we can't heal what we can't name. We can't heal what we can't name. That's the power of lament. Jesus knew this, the prophets knew this. And this doesn't just work on an individual level, this works on a collective, on a state, on a country, on a worldwide level. In fact, this concept comes from this book, the book of forgiving. In fact, much of what we've been talking about, the healing process, reconciliation, comes from this book by Impo Tutu and Desmond Tutu. And I'm sure many of you know Desmond Tutu was a huge integral part in healing the wounds of South Africa after the apartheid. So what happened in South Africa essentially is that a minority of white people took power and subjugated and oppressed South Africans in atrocious ways. Essentially from uh, 1961 all the way to 1994, this was happening. They relocated 3.5 million South Africans from their homes into poverty, slums, homelessness. Over 21,000 people died during this time because of the political upheaval. And when it was over, Nelson Mandela, one of the huge political activists of the time, he was released from prison and a democracy was restored and he was elected the new leader of South Africa. Now this is a huge moment, democracy is restored. Great, right? There's hope, but how are we going to heal? How are we going to heal what just happened? In some ways, I feel like that's kind of what's happening in the United States. How are we gonna heal what just happened? These past four years, this past month, this past six, seven, eight months of this pandemic, how are we gonna heal? And Nelson Mandela was very smart because he realized that a spiritual solution was needed. So what did he do? He had Archbishop Desmond Tutu create the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And essentially what they did is they brought over the whole course of this project, 
21,000 people to tell their stories, to name their hurts, to their oppressors. And this was televised. So all of South Africa was watching these people name their hurts, looking their oppressors in the eyes and telling them what they had experienced. The hurt they had endured, that they still endure. That was the first step towards their healing. And it works. It works not just on an individual level, but on a country-wide level, on a massive collective level, because again, we can't heal what we don't name, but when we name it, healing is on the way. Because the truth is, people are hurting right now in the United States. People are holding on to things that they haven't been able to name, that they haven't been able to express, a lot of times because they've been silenced. You see, the oppressor's strategy is to keep these hurts silent. Do not name them. To name the hate instead of naming the hurt. But if we're to move forward as a country, as individuals, we have to get comfortable with naming this hurt. In fact, I love how Desmond Tutu puts it. He says, We are not responsible for what breaks us. But we can be responsible for what puts us back together again. Naming the hurt is how we begin to repair our broken parts. You know, when we think about the indigenous communities of America, the black and brown, the people of color, the marginalized, the oppressed, the LGBTQ+, I mean, the list goes on and on of people who have been subjugated and oppressed. We have to know and realize that they are not responsible for that. If you've been hurt by someone, you are not responsible for that hurt. But as people of faith, we are responsible for naming it and hearing the hurt. So, how? Okay, how are we going to do this, right? Because if this isn't practical, then it's really of no use. So I want to really make this as practical as we can. And I think we find some practical steps, not only through the life of Christ, but also through the real life of people who have gone through this process. So the first thing is, number one, identify your feelings. And it's simple, but not simple. It starts with a simple, I feel blank. I feel what? Right? Jesus, I am deeply grieved even to death. 
What are you feeling? What has that hurt made you feel? We have to get comfortable talking about our feelings, naming our feelings in every moment. We have to be able to circumvent that cultural norm of, yeah, good, good, how are you doing? Good, good. No, sometimes you're not doing good. It's okay. I feel tired. I feel sad. I feel anxious. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about that, right? Number two, remember that no feeling is wrong. No feeling is wrong, right? Jesus, you know, in this passage, he's not going, oh God, I know I shouldn't be feeling grieved. I know I shouldn't be feeling this way. Oh, you're right, God, never mind. Let's, let's, let's not talk about it. It's okay. No, he was deeply grieved and he just named it because he knew it wasn't wrong because God gives us all of these emotions for a reason. God feels all of these emotions with us. They're not wrong. They're a part of being a human, being a witness to what it means to experience the suffering of others in solidarity with others, suffering of our own experience. My suffering's your suffering, your suffering's my suffering. Our suffering is God's suffering. No feeling is wrong. Number three, find someone to tell, like Jesus did, right? In this passage, find someone to tell that you trust, that you know isn't going to judge you or make you feel a certain way about how you're feeling. Find someone to tell. Who did he tell? He brought his three favorite disciples. He took with him Peter and James and John, and he told them how he felt. Peter, James, and John didn't go, oh, come on, Jesus. You're fine, dude. Let's, don't worry about it, man. You're God, right? No, they knew. They knew his grief because they were feeling it too. And here's a really important thing that we have to do, especially if we are in places of privilege, like me, white guy, heteronormative, able-bodied, right? The thing we have to get really good at is hearing the hurt. Without judgment, without condemnation, without telling them that what they're experiencing can't be true, because I don't experience that. That can't be true. No, it's true. They're naming their hurt, and we need to listen. We really need to listen. And if you don't have someone who you feel like you can name your hurt to, remember that you have God. Jesus bore it all out to God. And this is something I'm honestly uncomfortable with and something I've been working on, is just talking to God about my hurt. Like, God, I am confused right now about what's going on in this country. I have no idea what to do. I feel sad. Go to God. 
Go to God. Lastly, the fourth step, move forward. See, when we name our hurt, we move out of denial. We move into the truth, into reality, into healing. And at some point, we must move forward as a country, as individuals. Again, Jesus did it, right? He says, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. You know, I've been thinking as I've been reading this text, how long did it take for him to get to that moment where he could say, yet not what I want, but what you want. How long will it take us to move forward into reconciliation, into liberating potentials for all beings, all people, the earth, <laughs> everything? How long will it take? Well, it's going to take a lot longer if we can't name the hurt. Move forward. And I think, really, if I were to boil this all down and give you just one thing to focus on, it would be that concept of, I feel blank. Focusing on, I feel. It all begins with the, I feel. What am I feeling? How are you feeling? Right? Because in a culture, again, where we're conditioned to not really go into our feelings, to not really express things vulnerably, we must fight back. We must realize that that is a strategy of oppression to keep people silent. That unless we name the hurt and heal the hurt, reconciliation is not going to happen. Jesus showed us the way he powerfully named his hurt so that we could do the same. He felt our pain. God feels our pain. And when we name the hurt, we not only name our hurt, each other's hurt, but we name God's hurt. So, how are you feeling? Hey everyone, it's Kaya. Um, before you head off, we have a couple uh, quick announcements for you this morning. Um, so if you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to get to know you and connect with you. You can just go ahead and visit www.oceansidesanctuary.org connect and fill out a connect card. Um, right after today's service at 10 a.m. is the congregational meeting. Um, we hope to see you there and we will be approving the new Mission 2023 commitment. Um, this is your choice um, to share your voice and um, share your opinions on the topic. Um, the MLK celebration is tonight um, at 5 p.m. and it's going to be on the Oceanside Sanctuary Facebook page live. Um, join members of the OSC anti-racist team and the Disciples of Christ um, for um, to remember and celebrate the life and work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so yeah, uh, we hope to see you there. Um, for more information, you can visit oceansidesanctuary.org calendar. 
Um, February 6th is the Roots class, uh, Saturday only, um, on the 6th from 9 to 12, 20 p.m. Um, the Roots class is our introduction to the Oceanside Sanctuary for those who are new to um, our church and want to get to know a little bit about us. Um, we are going to be covering the history of the church and the faith. So yeah, if you need more information on that, you can visit oceansidesanctuary.org slash calendar. Um, finally, how to support our mission. Um, Oceanside Sanctuary is a nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. Um, if you'd like to support our mission, consider giving a gift today at oceansidesanctuary.org slash give. Um, thanks everyone and have a great week.